The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC Online. We're so glad for all of you who joined last week and those of you who are back again this week. It's amazing to think that the church is outside the building, uh, but we are still inside of the body, meeting together in spirit and truth. And so I'm so thankful for the technology that allows us to do this. And as I'm isolating with my own family, really just getting out of the house to do things like this um, in order to be able to minister to you and trying to minister to people through um, video conference and all the different tools that we're using inside the body to do that. One of the things that um, this pandemic has taught me is how events can happen. I heard Dr. David Jeremiah talking about this this week, and it was very encouraging to me to think about is that, man, you, sometimes you're reading some things in the Bible about future prophetic events that are going to take place. And some of, the, some of the judgments that you see when the, uh, the, the horsemen of the apocalypse start rolling out, man, and, and it talks about the, that the world, this much of the world be, will be impacted by, by war and famine and, and, and pestilence and sickness and all this stuff. You're like, you, you sit there and you think, how in the world, um, as an American especially, I think we think this, how in the world could that happen? But in an instance, we can see that God in a matter of days can shut down the most powerful a, a country that has ever existed on the planet. And that helps us to see, man, when we're reading the Bible and some of these things that we believe but are harder to understand, which is what the way it's been for me um, as I've approached some of those things is like try to wrap my mind around how could that be. We see that it very easy, easily could be, and it's the first time it's ever happened in our lifetime. And so it's a pretty amazing thing to think about as we look forward to the return of Christ. Now, the question is, and I talked a about this a little bit last week, is is this a sign of Christ's second coming, his return. And so here's the deal, man, is that we don't know. <laughs> like, we don't know whether it is or not. Because what Jesus said about his second return is that he would come as a thief in the night and that we are to watch and pray. And so these things certainly can cast, um, if, if something is about to happen in the future, there certainly can be a shadow that's cast back in the past that starts getting that stuff wound up. I don't know. Like, what I know is the scripture says that I'm supposed to be watching and praying and being alert and expecting the return of Christ. I'm to live my life like, um, and, and practically how I live my life out in faith, like he's not coming back for a thousand years. I'm taking care of my responsibilities, but I also simultaneously am living like he may come back at any moment, even before I finish this talk today. And so when we think about what Jesus said, nobody knows. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back except God himself. And so it does serve us. As a reminder, though, when we go through this kind of pandemic that like shocks the world, it serves as a reminder that he is a lion. And we jumped into that last week, and I want to just review real quick to bring us up to speed because, man, I remember my heart has been like it's been pounding and burning and waiting to get this message out, out of me. Like the Lord has he's put a word in me again, and when, he, when the Lord starts putting a word in me, and he always leads me in my preaching, but sometimes, man, you just feel like there's a special anointing that's coming over you that the Lord is allowing you to see things that you've never seen before in the Scripture, and that certainly is the role of 
the Holy Spirit is to illuminate and help us remember things in the Word so that God can speak to us through His Word, which is how He speaks to us. And Jesus very clearly said that His sheep will hear His voice, they will know His voice, and they will follow and obey Him. And so the way God speaks to us is through His Word. Now, as we look at the prophet um, Amos, what we've learned is that prophets use very powerful and descriptive language. And so just again, by way of reminder, is that last week we talked about Jesus being the lion. And we look, if you read through the prophet Amos, even if you read in Hosea and some of the other um, minor prophets, you will find throughout scripture that God is often referred to as a lion. And so in chapter three of verse eight, it says, the lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? And so he's again comparing the Lord to a lion. Now we know that uh, what we're trying to establish here is that there is a famine in the land. There is a famine in the land when during Amos' time he was prophesying about a coming famine and as bad as things were even in his day, people were not heeding the voice of the Lord. It says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And so the the prophet had prophesied that there was a famine in the land. Now, people were worshiping in these high places. And so Amos comes to town and he tells Jeroboam that the lion is roaring. He's trying to get your attention. And what we know about prophets, when we look at prophets in the Old Testament, and even during the time of the writing of the New Testament, there there were prophets, and and the apostles were sort of a prophet. They were used as as prophets. But prophets, when we we use the term prophets in this, this capacity, what prophets do is foretell. And so they foretell the future. A prophet has the ability to hear a message from God that is a new revelation for his people, and they foretell it. Then the test of a prophet is, did what that guy say was going to happen, happen? And God would often couple the prophet's ability to foretell the future with supernatural powers that would happen in real time so that people would see that he had the authority of God on his life. We have to be reminded that these prophets, and during this time, people were not walking around and uh, being indwelt with the Holy Spirit like we are today as believers. We now are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and he is the prophet inside of us that illuminates the word for us. But then it was the prophet of God that supernaturally the spirit would come over him and God would give him visions. God would allow him to interpret dreams and God would would come to him sometimes even personally or through an angel and give him a specific message and he would foretell things that would happen in the future. A preacher on the other hand, which is what I am as a preacher, is that he um, he does not foretell, he forthtells. Now, what is a forthteller? A forthteller is one who publicly proclaims. And what is a forthteller to publicly proclaim? Only the word of God. We take the word of God and we publicly proclaim it to the people of God and, and those who have ears to hear and listen to the voice of God, we publicly proclaim what is already written. Now, what we know in scripture is that the age of prophecy died. It closed. It closed. 
it, it closed up, it was sealed up. And why is that the case? Because the prophet was necessary to be around when the word of God was being written. When the word of God was completed and the canon of scripture was closed and God had all that he wanted recorded for us, the age of prophecy um, ceased. And so now we have preachers that ought to be preaching in the power and demonstration of the prophet, but now the prophet is the spirit that enables us to foretell what God has already said through his prophets and apostles in the Old Testament writings and the New Testament writings. So when we're thinking about what we should expect from a church experience, one of the things that we ought to be expecting is a preacher of the word of God foretelling and proclaiming the very words of God. Anything short of that is doing a disservice in the kingdom of God. And so in uh, Amos's uh, prophecy, what I said to you last week is that the, he prophesied there was was it going to be a famine of hearing the word of God? And that that prophecy was actually fulfilled during the interbiblical time, uh, period between the closing of the Old Testament and the writing and the beginning of the New Testament with the Gospels. And so during this interbiblical time um, where we don't have God speaking, there were no prophets. And then 400 years later, John the Baptist shows up on the scene. So the question is, am I saying that there, how am I saying as a preacher who's a fourth teller of the word of God, that there is a famine in the land right now that has been prophesied about. Well, oftentimes, when a prophet would make a prophecy, there would be dual prophet or, or dual fulfillment. Some of it would happen pretty soon, and some of it is out in the future. But in this case, as far as a famine in the land, the apostle Paul writes a letter to Timothy. And in the letter to Timothy, he's talking to him about the last days. And he says something very very interesting in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says it also in chapter 3, and he specifically re refers to the end of days, the last time that people will become lovers of pleasure and lovers of money, and they, they, will, they will do all kinds of, uh, of evil deeds, and they will have a form of godliness but not have any power in their lives. Then in chapter 4, Paul says to him in verse 3, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, what are myths? Myths are thoughts, things that are made up, theories, the way that we see it. It's human reason to give an explanation as opposed to believing in the supernatural creator of the universe who's left us the word that enables us to know who he is, what he's like, and to trust and follow him without making a blind leap of faith in the dark. We can analyze the evidence, and the evidence will consistently point to that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when I say that there is a famine in the land, and this famine is prophesied, it was prophesied by the apostles. Even Peter talks about a great spiritual delusion that comes over people nearing the 
end of time. Are we nearing the end of time? I don't know. But what I do know is without a shadow of a doubt, we are living in a day where people have spiritual ignorance running all about them. People cannot, they cannot for the life of themselves understand what it means to follow the voice of the Lord and to heed the words of the Lord. That people right now, we're living in a day and age where people can't even figure out what gender they are. That's how upside down the world is. And if you trust the Bible, this is not a difficult thing for us to do. People are in, uh, living in immoral ways in all, all kinds of ways. Now, that, like we look at that and we go, okay, man, wh why are you talking about that? Because it's happening on the inside of the church, and the church is trying to uh, make a shift outside of the Word of God, and there are people who are pushing for that who are claiming to be inside the kingdom. And I would say to you that these are the kind of people that the scripture refers to that we need to watch out for. And we're going to see some things in scripture that absolutely blow my mind. Now, here's what I want you to hear today is I don't want you looking around and going, man, well, are you saying that people outside of the church are all the problems? No, I'm saying that people inside the church are the problem. I'm saying that the problem is the people inside the church have not come to a place where they're heeding the voice of God, where the ministers of God are not teaching the people of God how to listen to the voice of God and how to trust what he has said to us in the word of God. And so that's what Amos is doing as he speaks to Jeroboam and he's trying to get his attention. Now, here's a question. Why does Jeroboam describe the Lord as a roaring lion? And so like, why does he choose that descriptive language? And so I've been sitting with the Lord in this, asking him specifically, because I think this is a special time where ministers of God ought to be bringing a word from the Lord. So I've been painstakingly digging out, sitting with the Lord and praying to the God of the universe, what do you want me to say to your people? And the Lord has showed me some things, man, that have just absolutely blown my mind. And so I'm going to take you through a journey of Scripture that I hope it is as encouraging uh, for you as it has been for me. But we're going to go back 116 years before the time of Jeroboam. And when we go back 116 years before Jeroboam's time, we find the first king of the divided kingdom. So the kingdom of Israel and, and the kingdom that was united under David's leadership, his son Solomon takes the throne after David's death. Solomon is disobedient to God and starts getting involved in some pagan worship. And so God executes judgment on that. And there is a split between the northern and the southern kingdoms. Ten kingdoms go to one king and two kingdoms, the southern kingdoms, are under the rule of another king. And that's very important in a prophetic um, sense because God had made a promise to David that somebody from his lineage would be the Messiah. And so the southern kingdom always had to be intact so that uh, the king could eventually, uh, the Messiah could uh, uh, come from David's lineage. Now, when we go and we, we, we start going back to 116 years before the time of Jeroboam, you have to understand that's Jeroboam II. The first king of Israel's divided kingdoms to become the king of the northern kingdoms starts out with a promise from God that he would receive the kingdom. But before Solomon dies, he moves off to Egypt and he stays in Egypt until Solomon dies. Then he comes back and he's elected the king of the northern kingdoms. His name is Jeroboam 
the first. So this is an ancestor of Jeroboam the second. And he's named after him. Now, here's the deal. A couple of weeks ago, I had the incredible privilege of preaching my uncle's funeral. And he is my uncle from which I'm named after. I get, he's my namesake. I've grown up all my life knowing that I was named after my uncle Jimmy. And so that has, that's something that I've known from the time I was able to comprehend and communicate. People have been telling me that I'm named after my Uncle Jimmy. And it, it's, it kind of forged a little bit of a special and unique relationship just because I'm named after him. It made me feel special. Well, here's the deal. Jeroboam II is an ancestor of Jeroboam I. And 116 years after the rule of Jeroboam I, Jeroboam II, is, he ascends to the throne. Uh, and now he's leading. And so he has grown up knowing that this ancestor of his is who he's named after. And Amos shows up on the scene and he says, the lion is roaring. And he continually uses this descriptive language. And so the question we have to ask is why does Amos use the description of a roaring lion? Well, let us go to 1 Kings chapter 12. And I hope um, this, uh, again, I'm going to be throwing a lot of scripture at you today, okay? So what you're going to have to do is if you have the word, man, get it out or just write down what I'm going to write down. If you've got you version, it's in there and you can get down in there with me and see all of this stuff that I'm not just telling you something that's going to make you feel better. I'm interpreting the word and I'm forthtelling what God has proclaimed and showing you something very powerful that I think is happening in our culture today. When we look at 1 Kings chapter 12, we begin in verse 25 and it says, Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and he built up Peniel. Now, this is really interesting. Watch what he does. And I, I, I talked about this last week. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He had come out of Egypt. This is what they, they worship. The golden calf represented an invisible God. And he was thinking, well, our God is invisible. I can mix this up with our religion and it'll be okay. And so he, he institutes and makes these golden calves. And he said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One, uh, one he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan, and this thing became a sin, the people went even as far as Dan to worship one there. So they were traveling farther than it was for them to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so Jeroboam builds these things, man, and he's all excited about it because it's how he's going to keep his kingdom intact. And Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a, fe instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made, and at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar, 
altar he had built at Bethel. So, so he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. So he kind of comes up with this system whereby they could have festivals just like God said to have festivals. He, he was going to have worship experiences and altars just like God said to have altars, but he was changing it just a little bit, okay? He was just shifting just a little. Now he's at a place where he's about to make a public sacrifice. He's got all of his stuff that he's put together, and he's about to sacrifice on this altar that he's just built. And watch what happens. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah, just like Amos came to Jeroboam II. A man of God came to Judah, to Bethel, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. And the man of God, he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. And he says, O altar, O altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. Now I want you to pause right here and don't forget the name Josiah. Because we're going to come back and we're going to, I'm going to teach you something about Josiah here in a little bit. He says that, that, that a son would be born um, out of the house of du Judah. His name would be Josiah. And he says, on you, on the altar, the, the, the man of God is prophesying against the altar. And he says, on you, he will sacrifice the priest of the high places who now make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. He said, this is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. And so when King Jeroboam heard uh, that the man of God sided out, cried out against the altar at, at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, seize him. And so here's the man of God, man. He comes and he's prophesying against the altar and he stretches out his hand. The king, when he says, prophesies against what he's doing and says what's going to happen to the altar, he stretches out his hand and the king says, seize the man of God. But what takes place is pretty fascinating. It says, but the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. So he's stuck in this position saying, seize him. And when it says shriveled up, some translations say dried up. And it basically means he loses the ability to pull back his arm. It is locked in place and scaring him to death. Also, it says the altar was split apart and, and the, its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. So right there in that moment, even in the altar being split open, the ashes poured off of it, and there was an immediate fulfillment of the prophecy given as a sign to heed what was prophesied about what was coming in in the future. And that's what God always did with his prophets. Then the king said to the man of God, intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and he became, and it became as it was before. Okay? So like the, the man of God, he healed the king, he interceded on him, on his behalf, and the Lord returned back the use of his arm. After this happened, it kind of shook the king up a little bit. And notice he doesn't pray to the golden calves. After he asked the man to pray for him, he's asking for the prophet to pray to his God. And the king, after he's healed, said this to the man of God, come home with me and have something to eat and I will give you a gift. Like, come home with me, bro, and I will give you something good out of my kingdom. 
But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. So what do we learn? We learned that God had told this man of God to go deliver this specific word to Jeroboam during this specific sacrifice. And then he said, after you're done, don't eat anything, don't eat any bread, don't drink any water. You leave and you don't go home the way that you came to that place. You take a different road home. And so he says, I'll never take anything from you. Ah, but there was another prophet, a certain old prophet, it says, living in Bethel, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They came and said, Dad, man, Pops, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe what we saw happen under the rule of Jeroboam. And they also told their father what he had said to the king. And their father asked him, which way did he go? And his son showed him which road uh, the man of God from Judah had taken. And so he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he, he mounted it and, and he rode after the man of God and he found him sitting under an oak tree and he asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he says, I am, he replied. And so the prophet said to him, come home with me and eat with me. So the prophet, after he had said that to him, the man of God said, I cannot come back with and go with you nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told, what, by what? By the word of the Lord. I've been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. But the old prophet answered. And he said, I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel said to me, by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But the scripture says he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. And while they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet, the one that was lying. The word of the Lord actually came and spoke through him. And he said, he cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command of the Lord your God that he gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. What was he saying to him? He was saying, listen, bro, you're going to die before you get back home because you did not listen to the words that the Lord spoke to you. That makes us a little uncomfortable, but we have to be reminded, man, God is serious about his word, and he's serious about the prophets of his word doing exactly what he said because they're experiencing a supernatural power from him and able to deliver the word. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, keep in mind, we're trying to see how does this relate to Jeroboam the second. As we look at Jeroboam the first, it says, when he had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. And as he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. That's right. A lion met him on the road 
and killed him. And his body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. And some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body. And they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from this journey heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion which has mauled him and killed him as the word of the Lord had warned him. And the prophet said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And they did so. Then he went out and he found the body thrown down on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. And they mourned over him and said, oh, my brother. And after burying him, he said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. You look at that, and man, you go, man, Jeroboam, did he listen? Well, the word says, even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. How in the world, first of all, did this Jeroboam not heed the word of the Lord? When the word of the Lord is what came to him and told him he was going to be the king of the northern tribes in the first place. How did he get so far away that he could not heed the word of the Lord? And we look at that and we see, man, the Lord used a lion to execute judgment on the man of God who didn't fully um, do what the Lord had asked him to do. And so it sort of blows us away as we think about when Amos was using the language to Jeroboam the second, like, uh, way uh, like 116 years later, and what, why was he using that descriptive language? Is because he was trying to make the will of God simple for the king to follow. And that's the way the word is. It's simple. It's simple for us to get in. It's simple for us to hear. It's simple for us to hear the voice of the Lord and follow hard after him. And that's why the descriptive language was used in this case. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. I referred to you and drew your attention to Josiah. And so when we study the book of Kings, what you will notice is throughout the book of Kings, most of them it says about them, and he did what was right in his own eyes, and the people suffered. And he did what was right in his own eyes, and the people suffered, and so did his family. Many times his family lost their lives because of the evil that he, the king, chose to do. But when we come to Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, um, verse 23, this is 350 years approximately after the time of Jeroboam the first. 
So 350 years after Jeroboam, the man of God prophesied to him that this is what was going to happen to that altar that he built and where he was engaging the people of God in false worship that was mixing some of what God said to do with what other cultures were doing. He said, this is what's gonna happen to that altar. And he clearly and plainly made a prophecy 350 years into the future. In 2 Kings chapter 22, Beginning in um, verse 1 through chapter 23, I told you there was going to be a lot of scripture, so okay, just be, be encouraged that you're the one listening to it, not the one having to read it all. And so it says that Josiah, watch this, man, I love this, bro. If you have not read about Josiah, you need to read about Josiah. And right now, you're going to get a lot of Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah. Now, this is important that, that, that it gives the mother's name. She's the daughter of Adiah, and she was born in Boscoth. And so the Lord, like, is preserving in word that this mom made it happen with this son because his father and his grandfather were not people who loved the Lord, but this mother got it done. And I love when I read in the word, the women of God getting it done and raising up real spiritual leaders to be used in the kingdom of God. And it says of him, Josiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, he's 26 now. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. And he said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. And have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work of the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber, dressed stone to repair the temple, but they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are acting faithfully. So what does Josiah do, man? First of all, he has a heart for the Lord. He starts pursuing the Lord. And, and then he gets a little bit older, and, and he, he starts cleaning up town and, and doing the best that he can to worship as his mom has taught him. And then he gets a little bit older, and he notices the temple needs to be repaired. The place is looking kind of shoddy, and we need to sink a little cash into the place, and people are taking up and giving their offerings and their tithes. What are we doing with that money? Let's put it into the house of the Lord and, and do some work to repair the house of the Lord. Now, this was significant at this time, because at this time during the history, biblical history, God's presence was always indicated by the temple. He was in the ark. His presence was indicated by being in the ark of the covenant, and that's where God resided. And that's why when we get to the New Testament, Jesus um, breaks into our lives, and we become the New Testament ark of the covenant, and the Holy Spirit now lives in us, and God is always pointing. He's always pointing to the future. He's always saying, I'm a lion. I'm coming. I'm going to lay down my life as a lamb so that I can dwell inside of you. And so, like, Josiah sees it, and he wants to get some work done on this place. Now, watch this, because this is really cool, all right? Why in the world are we looking at Josiah? Remember, the people of God were not listening to the word of God. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. 
Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have, pay, have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and we have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. Like he found, like most scholars agree, this is either the Pentateuch, but most believe that it's probably the book of Deuteronomy, which is the repeating of the law that was um, repeated by Joshua before they entered into the promised land. It gave out all of the instruction for worship. It told them the Ten Commandments and, and all of this other different stuff that was going on in the Word of God. One of the things that's fascinating about the book of Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, man, if you can't hear the voice of God, you are deaf. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Lord said, we find the Shema, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And what did Jesus say was the greatest commandment when they asked him? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. They're reading this to Josiah. Josiah has been trying to follow the Lord the best that he could. Remember, we're living in a verbal society where things are passed down verbally, but they find a special writing of the word of God. And when they're reading it to him and, they, and he hears them reading it, it says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, and Akbar son of Machniah, Shaphan the secretary and Azariah the king's attendant. And he said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. And listen to what he says. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in there concerning us. Like he was broken, man. And so they send, for, uh, they send to, to, to a prophetess. They find a prophetess who is known to walk with the Lord. She knows the lion. And they know they can trust her to give her the, the, the words of the Lord. And so they ask her to, to, to give them an interpretation. And when you get to verse um, 15, it says, She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Now, the king is not there, just his attendants. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book of the king that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all their idols and their hands, all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. And this is what the Lord of God of Israel says concerning the words you heard. Because, listen to, the, listen to, how, listen to what he says, the prophet says to the king, 
because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. Like the king was broken, man, when he heard the words of God, he realized, man, the people that I'm leading are so far away from the Lord. There's spiritual delusion in the land. There's a famine in the land. People don't understand what God has said to us because the book of the law had been hidden and tucked away and the, the priests of God were not feeding the people of God, the word of God, so they ended up making their own way and the kings were ruling the day and they were doing it with false religion by mixing the culture with the truth of God. Now the scary thing about this period in biblical history, which is the age of the law that they were living under, is that the wrath of God would come upon them. And the book of Deuteronomy said that these are the curses that will happen to you if you do not follow the words that you find in this book, that I've given you my law, it's gonna protect you, it's gonna help you, it's gonna make you be the people of the world that everybody can look to and find me. That was the whole purpose of Israel being the chosen people of God, is to teach all the nations around them what God was like, and he was going to reach out to them and make a way that they could come to know him. Well, we've got a little ways further to go in Scripture before I give you some application, and this is going to all uh, come together, but you need to understand what's going on. Like, you need to see the big picture of the Word of God and the harmony of the truth of the Word of God, and people think that some men got together somewhere and decided, well, we're going to pick these books out of the Bible. No, the Word of the Lord has been preserved by God himself so that we would know who he is and how to follow him, and that's why there's prophecies made that end up getting fulfilled so that we can know that we can trust the Bible to base our lives on it, not what everything is happening around us in culture. And so we're going to look and we're going to see how bad culture was during the time of Josiah. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple. That's the first place he went was the house of God. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people from the least to the grace, greatest. He, he, read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king himself got the word out and read it before all the people. And the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and, 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 and confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant and they renewed their covenant with God as they had been informed by the truth of the word. The king then ordered Hilkiah, because if we can begin to see, man, after, after commitment always comes obedience. And things are rough in the Old Testament, and thank the Lord that we are not living in that age of the law any longer. But the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. And he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. 
temple. And he did away with the pagan priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places. You see, the, all, these, all these pagan rituals were going on in the very place that God had given them and brought them out of slavery so they could live in freedom in their own land. And they paganized all that God had given them. And he says that, they burned the, uh, the incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. You want to know why the culture is so wrapped up in the environment? It's because they care more about the creature than they do the creator behind it. People always have. People always are enamored by the things that God made instead of the God who made him. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned them there um, outside the Kidron Valley of Jerusalem and burned it there. And he ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes, which were in the temple of the Lord and where women did weaving for Asherah. Did temple prostitutes engaged in sexual immorality. Like I don't think there's ever been a time in the history of the church where there's so much sexual immorality going on inside of the church. And I'm not just talking about things that we would say, oh, that's perverted. I'm talking about men and women having sex outside of the bond of marriage. And God would call us and say, listen, you need to purify that. You need to understand who I am. You need to hear my voice and heed it, church. Quit pointing the finger at everybody outside of the church and look at the inside of the church at what we're doing and tolerating and thinking it's okay and that God doesn't care. God is concerned about the people of God and how they live before him. And we see that Josiah is cleaning house. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba where the priest had burned incense. He broke down the shrines at the gates at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which is on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priest. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could uh, use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire of Molech. They literally sacrificed their children. And that's how we look at that and we go, oh man, how could a people be so evil that they would sacrifice their children to the God of Molech? And I would say to you that America is sacrificing their children to the God of self with abortion. We're seeing, man, I don't, I, I don't want to take this baby. And I've got my rights and a woman's rights. And there's no, a woman has no right yet to yield to the voice of the Lord. Men are the same way, and God help us for not seeing the sin that is running rampant throughout the country that we all love. God is screaming at us. He's roaring, trying to get our attention that we might hear his voice and follow him. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of an official named Nathan Malek. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sons. Now I find this interesting is that they had these, these horses that were on the corners of, of this particular area of the temple and they would ride out in these chariots as the sun would rise in the morning and it was their way to worship the sun. And so I said something about the environment earlier, and I want to just be clear. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about the environment. What I'm saying is we shouldn't care more about the environment than we do the one who created it. In this case, 
Josiah burns the chariots, but he doesn't destroy the horses because the horses, he, he realized, had no fault in the matter. He pulled down the altars the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord and he removed them from there and smashed them to pieces and threw the rubble into the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashereth and the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemesh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, and, and the detestable god of the people of Ammon. And Josiah smashed the sacred stones and he cut down the Asherah poles and he covered the sites with human bones. What's going on? He's taking and he's just like digging up these graves of these people who were involved in this pagan worship in the name of his God, okay? Like in the name of his God. He's not going outside of what has been commanded him, but inside of where it was commanded. And he's trying to do and right the wrong to show the people how far they had gone. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place, watch this, watch this. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. Even that altar and high place he demolished and burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole. That's Jeroboam the first. Remember the prophecy the man of God made about him? Then Josiah looked around, and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it, the very altar that the man of God said 350 years earlier that a guy named Josiah would be raised up and he would burn bones of humans on that altar in order to reprove what Jeroboam had did. And so he's having them dug up to do the very thing that God said he would do. And as he's doing it in, the, uh, in accordance with uh, the word of the Lord proclaimed by the... Oh, and they, so he, as he's doing that, it says, Then Josiah looked around and he saw the tombs and he's doing this. He says... He looked around, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. He doesn't even know that, about that at this point. Like he doesn't know exactly what's going on. And the king asked, what is that tomb I see right there? And the men of the city said, it marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel the very things you have done to it. Leave it alone, he said. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they spared his bones and those of the prophet who had come from Samaria. And just as he had done at Bethel, Josiah removed and defiled all the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria that had provoked the Lord to anger. And Josiah slaughtered all the priests of those high places on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he went back to Jerusalem, and the king gave this order to all the people, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Not since the days of the judges who led Israel out throughout the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. 
Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Now watch this. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. I think there's some very important things that are hard for us to swallow in the kingdom. It's important to note that the people had slipped, slipped off into a deep place of degeneration and they were so far from God. The people of God. Remember, we're living, this is the Old Testament. The people of God who had the responsibility of teaching the world what God was like. So God was not saying to go out and do this to all these different nations. He was saying, look, man, you guys have, you've perverted everything that I've given you and you need to like get right and come back home and love me. You've missed the mark. What's fascinating about this is that he was the king at eight. He sought the Lord like David at 16. He removed the high places at 18, and he started working on the temple at 26. He found the book of the law, and revival broke out. They had a celebration of the Passover unlike had ever been done since the time of Samuel, the last judge, before the first king that God told them was going to be a problem if they get two kings over themselves. And they have this Passover, and the Passover is designed to remind them, what, when I see the blood, I will pass over you? It was a foreshadowing of the lion that would come, and he would take on the characteristics of the lamb, and he would be slain for the sin of the world so that all could know him. And so we look at this, and I'm going to give you a few applications and a big idea, because it's like, man, that's a fascinating story of biblical history. But what does it mean for me today as I'm sitting in isolation in my home? What am I supposed to teach my kids as I'm walking through life? What is this? How does this help me? I'm locked up right now. I feel like a prisoner in my own home. I'm scared, and I don't know what's going on around me. Well, there's a lot to be learned from this. And that's why I think the Lord had me to share it with you. First, lying prophets cause people to reject the word of the Lord. That's what we see. We see a man of God who listened to a lying prophet who used all of his persuasive abilities to get what he wanted to follow that, that, so that man would follow him home. And he didn't consult with the Lord. He didn't even need to consult with the Lord because the Lord had already supernaturally told him what he was supposed to do. And as soon as that guy said that an angel visited him and told him a word from the Lord too, he should have said, well, let's talk to the Lord about it right now. But he didn't. He rejected what the Lord had told him to do and he paid consequences. And so you might be asking, well, Jimmy, are you going back in that first story with Jeroboam and the man of God and the lion that killed him? Are you saying that Jesus is the lion? 
I'm not saying that Jesus is the lion, but I am saying that that lion belonged to Jesus. Because one thing I know about lions, when they attack men and kill them, they eat them. And if a lion attacks a man who's riding on a donkey and the man is knocked off the donkey, the donkey runs away. But in this case, when the man of God returns, the lion, the donkey, and the man of God are all laying in the ditch and the people of God are walking by looking and the news spread back to the town. And it was a sign. God was screaming at all of them. He was trying to say, I'm calling out to you. You're getting away from me. You need to heed my words. He was trying to speak to Jeroboam the king, and he's trying to speak to us today. And God uses the descriptive language to even go back and talk to Jeroboam the second through another prophet who says, the Lord is roaring like a lion. And God will always use signs, always has throughout history that we have biblically as we study. He will use signs to get our attention. But lying prophets cause people to reject the word of the Lord. The second thing is, is the word serves as a mirror to the soul. As I read the word, I take a look at my soul. It, it gives me a reflection of my soul. The mirror and the things that consume us right now, that take for our attention, that, that, we, that have been stripped away from us, they are a miracle for our body, or a mirror for our bodies. But the word is a mirror for that which inside of me that makes my body work. And so, like the word is showing us, the Lord is showing us that the word serves as a mirror to the soul. And when Josiah found the word and he ate the word, it broke his heart of flesh and set his soul on fire. You see, Josiah thought he was following the Lord, but when he saw the word and it reflected back in his life and he looked at the things that were missing, he was like, woe is me, I am unclean. And it broke his heart and he wept before the Lord and the Lord started moving in his life and revival broke out in the land. The word serves as a mirror. And so as we're in this place, the thing that we ought to be doing is learning the discipline of getting in the word. So why that the lion can speak to me? I can hear his voice. He can show me what he wants me to do. And I can get excited about the things that he has planned for me in this kingdom. The third thing is that people reject the word because they do not want to reject their sin. That's why people reject the word. If you reject the word, what you end up is rejecting the God of the word. That's what Jeroboam did, both one and two. That's what many of the people in the Old Testament we see have done. Over and over, God has given us a history lesson of what happens when we reject the word. When we reject the word, we reject the God of the word. And the reason that we do that is because we do not want to reject our sin. And what happens is when we reject the, the God of the word, other gods will take his place. And they will be gods that conform to our liking. And that's exactly what Jeroboam did. He took a little bit of what he liked and he put it with some other stuff that he liked out in culture. 
And I'm going to put a little bit of Jesus with a little bit I see over here. And Jesus just loves. And Jesus is love. Jesus is love. And Jesus is love. And that's all that matters. No, man. You're, you're, you're describing human love, not agape love. Agape love loves us for the best, what's best for us. And he doesn't tolerate and allow us to run amok and get ourselves in trouble. That's why he executed judgment on the man of God. And some of us are uncomfortable with that. But I would remind you that the, the, the man of God in the New Testament, it is said is required and a more strict judgment will happen to people like me who teach the word than those of you who receive the word and are taught by people like me. And that's what's going on. The man of God is, he, he, the, the Lord, I'm reminded of, of the apostle Paul and he says, I've given these brothers over for the destruction of their flesh that their soul might be saved. And that's why the man of God in the end, he was protected. And we see that his grave was protected as it speaks to us that God never forgets. He knows how to execute justice and that's what makes him God and us human beings. And so we look at this and we go, man, how do we protect ourselves from famine in the land and COVID-19. That brings me to the big idea of today's talk. Wash your hands and humble your heart. Wash your hands and humble your heart. I'm washing my hands more than I ever have in my life. And what I'm running to encourage you to do is as you wash your hands, Humble your heart before the Lord and get yourself in a place where you yield to his word. I'm going to close with another passage of scripture, and I know it is a lot, but I believe with all of my heart is a word from the Lord, and it needs to be given. And he says in James chapter 4, Beginning in verse 5, or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Or it says, other interpretations say he jealously desires, but he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Man, when you read that, you're like, whoa, man, it sounds like. It sounds like to me that the Lord wants me to be miserable. But that's not what's going on at all, man. The Lord, what he is saying is that he works in humble hearts who will submit to his word. And so he's challenging us to be like Josiah, man, when the word convicts us and we see our sin in the depths of our soul, we weep before the Lord and repent and what he does it set our souls on fire and exalts us above our sin because of our humility. And so instead of walking around in pride, thinking I've got it all figured out and I'm going to tell you what parts of the Bible I want and what parts of the Bible I don't want, you begin to realize the Bible is the word of God that I yield to because it is what he's given to me that I might know him and he has taught me that he will save me from my sin. And right now, there's a lot of talk about hope. 
And hope is good. Like hope is necessary. But it's humility before hope. Because if we don't humble ourselves before God, there's no hope for none of us. Even, like, it doesn't matter that the things turn around, man. The most important thing is the eternal destiny of our soul. And humility comes before hope. And so as we're looking for hope that this thing turns around, we're looking for hope that it stayed. We're looking for hope in a virus. We're looking for hope that we don't get sick. We're looking for hope that our, our, our kids are okay. Maybe we ought to start with humility and then go to hope so that we can go before the Lord and say, I hear your voice. I'm listening and I'm ready to follow. And when you do that, when you figure out the secret in life, the Lord will set your soul on fire and give you the heart of the lion. (laughs) And that's where all the zeal comes from. That's where all the strength comes from. That's where all the, 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 the power comes from. That's where the joy comes from. Is when I humble myself and say I'm weak is when he becomes strong. So I want to encourage you today. Like here's what I'm encouraged by. Is I, I don't know if revival is going to break out across the land sweeping like we've heard of old. I pray to God that it would. But this is one thing I do believe for the people of OPCC. Revival is going to break out here because we are eating the word. We are sharing the word. We are experiencing the word. And I want to encourage you today. You are walking with the lion. Just keep yourself humble before him. And don't worry about what's going to happen to the economy. It could all fall apart and we could be going through a great depression like our grandparents did. But you know what? What do you say to your kids? You say, walk with the lion, man, and you have nothing to fear because if it all falls apart and he comes back tomorrow, I'm his and you are his. And that is how humility brings us to a place of hope and we can walk with the lion. I believe today with all of my heart that this is a word from the Lord. I preach sermons every week, and, and I prepare sermons every week, and sometimes, like I've been doing this for 30 years, and sometimes the Lord just said, I'm going to bring a word today, and it's been heavy, and so God is, like, he's, he's screaming to us, and I don't care if it's the president of the United States or the president of the PTO. Quit pointing your finger at the president and start getting humble and just looking at yourself. Like that's what America needs is humility. Every politician, every CEO, every business owner, everybody, whether you're a believer in God or not, man, you need humility so that we can start having hope in others instead of being so selfish and self-centered about what our desires are. I'm going to ask you to bow in a spirit of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to make decisions for the Lord right there in your living room. What is the lion saying to you today? Is he asking you to humble yourself and give your life to him? 
Is he asking you to humble yourself and, and, and start listening and getting in the word and eating it and sharing it and doing what he wants you to do? Is he asking you to lay down your idols and quit mixing things with Christianity and trying to pass it off that Jesus' sacrifice will purchase the religion you're trying to, to, to own? It won't do it, man. Jesus, he gets to call the shots. And he's not just our savior. He's the lion, and he gets to be Lord of our lives, and we yield to him with all our heart, all our mind, and all our souls. And so, like, man, what is the Lord saying to you? As, as you are there right now, man, maybe somebody shared this with you, and maybe you're watching it, and you're like, man, I want to receive Christ. What do I do? Look, this is simple. Like if the lion is knocking the heart of your door, he wants in. And all you got to do is open it. And the way we open it is to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner, man. Like I know, Lord, that, that I'm far from you. Forgive me. Like come into my life. Be the Lord. Be my lion. And let me follow you. And like you, you confess your sin to the Lord and ask him to forgive you. And then you begin to confess to others, man, I gave my life to Jesus. That's all it takes, man. It's a free gift. It's a gift of God. And that's all we have to do. So I'd encourage you to pray that prayer. And if you made that decision, man, click on the link. There are links that you can connect, connect with if you're watching church online and just say, man, I gave my life to Jesus today. I, I raised my hand. I, I've given my life to him. I've recommitted my life. Man, the Lord just set me on fire. Maybe the Lord just encouraged you and you just want to encourage us and say, man, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on, OPCC. Like, you encourage me today. Whatever it is, man, what we got to get good at is sharing the good news, okay? So make a decision for the Lord. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'm going to encourage those of you who are part of OPCC to be faithful to the line and continue to give. You could do that online, or if you want to send it in, that's fine. But this is what we're doing, church. Like, this is what OPCC is about. We're going to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor like ourselves, and we're going to go out there and make disciples as we eat the word, experience the power and share it with those around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you were a lion. You were the lion of the tribe of Judah, and that we are not alone regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how things are going on around us. Lord, you have taught us as a lion that you will wash our feet. So Jesus, help us to be humble and wash the feet of those around us. Help us to be humble, Lord, and realize our hope comes from our characteristic of being humble like you and receiving the word of the Lord. I pray that you would be with folks all over the world, that you would check this virus, Lord, that you would stay it. I pray in the name of Christ, Lord, that, that you, as it's gotten our attention, Lord, that we would turn to you and that revival would break out in the land. But I pray, Lord, that many would not die. And I ask, Lord, for your hand to be upon us as we seek to minister for you. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus, and amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.